Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 5, The Kings, the human ones. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can find Episode 1 easily at 15minutesontheway.com. Otherwise, brace yourself for a podcast in God's voice telling His side of your story. Personally, I thought it was too early for Samuel to say farewell. As you'll see, it's not like he's dropping out of the plan anytime soon, and he still has a very important role to play as my spokesman. But he's had his feelings all hurt and is pretty grumpy about having to install a king, as likable a guy as Saul has turned out to be. Samuel still thinks deep down inside that if he'd been a better judge and prophet, the people never would have wanted a king. Even though I reminded him that it's not you, it's me, he's still taking the whole thing very personally and feels like he's being put out to pasture. That, coupled with the opportunity presented by the gathering of the entire nation in one place, who knows when that's going to happen again, that spurs him on to another classic farewell, as we've seen from the likes of Moses and Joshua. We won't go over the whole thing, though I recommend that you crack open your manual and read 1 Samuel 12. The whole chapter is the whole farewell address. Obviously, the man can talk. He's a bit like a lawyer doing his closing argument in a trial, hoping the people will have an aha moment at the end and finally recognize what they've done. What I do want to highlight is how he kicks it off. He's made no secret of his disdain for the people's desire for a human king, which colors the entire speech. He makes a clear contrast of his life with Israel and the life he's predicted the king will have with them. Whereas he's warned the people how much the king will take from them, uh, that verb take appears six times in his warning about the king. Samuel challenges the people to name a single time he has ever taken anything from them. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whose bribe have I taken? Samuel details my faithfulness to Israel, going back to Moses and Aaron, through to the times of the judges and the battles against Sisera and Jabin, Moab and the Philistines. He outlines Israel's cycle of faithlessness in their turning to local gods, suffering attack from the local peoples, then turning back to me so I can rescue them again. In fact, Samuel says this is all just another round of that cycle. Israel has cried out for a king to save them from nasty Nahash instead of repenting of their idol worship and crying out to me first. They don't need a king. They need me. Now they've got a king, though, and if the king and the people all follow me, all will go well. But if they rebel against me, not so much. Samuel can see the people's eyes glazing over, though, and that his words are not sinking in. So he underscores the truth and import of what he's saying with an act of power. He reminds them that it's the time of wheat harvest. In their habitat, that, of course, means many things, one of which is the fact that it's their dry season. 
not a cloud in the sky nor a drop of rain. Samuel says he'll call on me, and as proof of their wickedness in demanding a king, I'll send thunder and rain on them at an impossible time of year. He does. I do, and they get the point. But it's kind of too late to go back. When the people ask Samuel to pray for them, he basically tells them to remain faithful to me and not turn aside from me to useless things, read idols, like they have in the past, and start the whole cycle over again. Remember what Yahweh's done for you. Fear him and walk in his ways. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. You see what I mean now about this not exactly being a time of wine and roses for the new king. Poor Saul. It's not his fault the people want a king. But I am a god of my word, and it was certainly within my power to refuse the people's request, but I didn't. So let's move forward. In a minute. We've been bouncing through here without stopping to reflect much on matters as we've gone along, and there are a few things to consider at this point. Saul wasn't on the hunt for power, position, or prestige when he met his destiny and Samuel in the same moment. He was looking for something else entirely. When Samuel told him the donkeys had been found, though, Saul didn't say to Samuel, The rest of that sounds very nice, but I'm just after my donkeys, sir. I'll be on my way home now. No, Saul was open to my word, speaking to him through Samuel. And in time, my spirit came upon this tall, good-looking Benjamite, and I made him king over Israel. You may be looking for something right now, too. Something of life, probably not donkeys. Be open to finding something other than that which you seek. Your imagination, at its best, is still woefully limited compared to mine. I may very well be placing something unexpected in your path as you're off looking for something else. Another thing to notice is found in Samuel. It's clear he's taking this whole king thing quite personally, but like I said, the people aren't rejecting him, they're rejecting me. You know, and I know, whether you are already on the way with me and walking in my ways, or at least trying to. Most of the people in your habitat are not. There may be times when you are rejected by those around you in one way or another because of your walk with me on the way. In those times, take a lesson from what I just said to Samuel. It's not you they're rejecting. It's me. I know it's easier said than done, but don't take it personally. I will, but I can handle it. And them. And I haven't yet given up on them either. Finally, we find ourselves now in a moment of perspective with our people. Samuel has finished his closing argument, and they have come to the conclusion he's desired all along. They agree that it was wrong for them to ask for a human king, since King Yahweh has been there all along. But it's too late to turn back the clock. The deed's been done, and King Saul's been placed on the throne. This is how things have worked out as a consequence of the people's demands. If you find yourself on the other side of some poor choices, 
If you, like the Israelites, have done something wrong and are experiencing sinner remorse, if you're living in and with the direct consequences of your sinful decisions, take heart from Samuel's advice to the people. It's sobering, but hopeful, too. He didn't tell them I was going to somehow magically make things return to their pre-transgression state like nothing ever happened. It's too late for that. There's the king standing head and shoulders above the crowd. Your consequence may take many forms, but there's no taking it or him or her back either. The thing to do is to keep moving forward on the way with me from right where you stand now. Samuel says, Be sure to fear Yahweh and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Learn from your mistakes. Repent of your sin. Step back on the way. Or, put at its simplest, go and sin no more. Now, Saul, well, Saul means well. He does. I know he does. He's about to have his first battle with the Philistines. The Philistines, for crying out loud. And he's supposed to wait at Gilgal seven days for Samuel to come offer sacrifices, ostensibly asking for my help that should be made before Saul and his army engage the enemy. Uh, we're in 1 Samuel 13, if you're tracking in your manual. Never mind that such a wait eliminates the element of surprise. Hey, if I am at the party, it's always a surprise to the other side. Surprise is one of my chief methods of disrupting enemies, but I digress. By the time the seventh day rolls around, the Philistines are looking tougher, and Samuel's army is looking smaller as men drift away. Finally, Saul feels compelled to offer the sacrifices himself before he loses any more soldiers. Of course, as soon as he finishes, who should ease on up the road but Samuel? It's day seven, Samuel still technically on time. But Saul has shown himself unable to wait. There's a recurrent theme of waiting on Yahweh in the owner's manual, waiting on me and my timing. It always feels longer than humans think it should. And then there's the fact that Saul is neither priest, Levite, nor prophet, and really has no business offering a sacrifice. But that's not why, on his arrival, Samuel chews Saul out. The king gets an earful because of his inability to follow direction. This inability to comply with clear instruction comes back in a big way, and as a result, Saul's days as king are essentially numbered even as he's just begun his reign. Sure, some time has passed, and he's been busy fighting Israel's enemies on every side. Moab, Ammon, Edom, Philistia, you know, the usual take care of the guys at your borders issues. By the way, the borders of Israel have still not yet reached the positions promised to be the boundaries of the promised land, but we'll get there. A troublesome group at the southern border proves to be Saul's undoing, not that he loses the battle with them. 
he loses the throne because of how he wins the battle. It solves difficulty following directions problem, overlooked or at least put up with in school children or in husbands who won't even ask for directions, much less follow them. The king of Israel has no such margin of error. The first king of Israel, especially, with whom precedent is being set for all the kings that follow, certainly has no such margin. He's got to take my commands, my directions, seriously enough to fully obey them. So when I decide it's time to deal with the Amalekites in the south through Saul and his forces, and when I give him detailed direction on how to do so, he'd better pay attention to the details. Well, you guessed it. He doesn't. But we'll have to learn about those details next time. In the meantime, go and sin no more, and walk with me on the way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or on Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. You can find a link to our Patreon page there as well. We're sponsored by the Oakhaven Church in the Barn in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oleksandr Zadoyani writes our theme music at smartmediamusic.com. Kenny Eicher designs our website graphics, kennyeicherart.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way, and until next time, be good to yourself.